Right, here we go, episode 26. I think we'll get it done before the end of the year. It's a couple of days before New Year's Eve whilst I'm recording this. I think it's the 29th, uh, the 30th, I'm only one day before. So I'm going to knock out a quick episode around out the year. This will make it 26, that was my goal for the year, one every week. I think I actually got a bit confused. I think I actually did do 26 episodes, but one of them actually got labelled incorrectly. Anyway, um, this will make up for it. Still got an interview lined up for tomorrow, I think, but that won't uh, go live until the new year now. Um, I just want, I'm probably going to ramble a bit today just to uh, talk about a few things that have been on my mind. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about was programming and training periodizations. Um, and I'll take it back to when I was coaching and sprinting, but this can be applied and should be applied to every sport. Um, I'm now sort of getting involved a little bit more in the high rocks world. I've already completed one. I'm going to do another one next year, maybe two. I'll probably do a doubles uh, with my current partner. Um, And yeah, we'll see how we go. That'll be a mixed doubles and I might team up with a couple of friends as well and maybe do a... uh, um, a men's doubles as well, I'm not too sure. But it's interesting because it's such a new sport, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out how to train for it, including myself, by the way. Um, you know, what exercises to combine, how you combine your strengths and weaknesses, you know, should you focus on, you know, the high rock specific specific movements and in all sorts of applications and, and questions around this I'm seeing online at the moment. But I just wanted to go back and touch on a few things that I learned a long time ago, and it's basically the whole concept of periodization and breaking down your entire year and working backwards. Now, my High Rocks event won't be until middle of next year, so I don't have a full 12 months, but I have been training in the background with High Rocks in mind. Um, so I will have a six-month or a five-month backward plan technically, and I think typically you need about 12-week plans. If you're training all year round and you're pretty fit, I think with a good 12 weeks of preparation, you can normally get in shape. And if you look at the uh, the UFC fighters, their training camps are somewhere between 8 and 12 weeks, depending on you know how out of shape they've let themselves get, what weight division they're trying to fight in. A lot of their camps are based around weight because those guys are staying in shape and doing you know um, full training all the time, but then they just go into very specific training for that particular um, opponent. But back in the days of track, you know, we would always have – one or two events in mind that you want to peak for and typically for us it was a state title and then a national title and they were about six weeks or eight weeks apart I think which is always difficult to come up to two events sometimes in all honesty they're actually better if they're closer and you find that you blow the first event even though you try and peak for it and then that peaks you for the second event and I'll come back and give you an example of that in a moment Um, But just to run through some basic periodization methodologies, you know, from a track point of view, you have an off-season, a general prep phase, a specific prep phase, and then a competition phase. Now, within these particular phases, or depending on what time of the year it was as well, we would go into these mini phases, let's call it, and we would have, you know, a mini endurance phase. If we done a lot of endurance at the start of the year and then we'd gone into the more you know specific work because we had an odd meet that we were training for let's say it was our relays um, and 
then we still had our state and national championships post relays, we would go back into these mini endurance phases. You can't keep doing this high level, high intensity work all year round. So we would back off the intensity a little bit, go back to a bit of endurance, build your base back up and then slowly build up again. And if you think about training in somewhere between a four and six week block, we would typically use a four week block. And if you go and Google any standard periodization training block, it basically goes week one at a particular level and it's this stepped effect or a step, um, you know, graph. If you look at um, a column graph, it would just be these individual steps. So week one, you know, X amount of volume, X amount of speed. Week two slightly increases. Week three increases a bit further. And then week four sometimes comes off a little bit. And then in our situation, we would often, if we've had an extended block up to six weeks, then we would have a deload week. Um, and then you actually start, you know, week one again, which is potentially slightly higher intensity and load than week one from the previous block, and then build again. So you start the year out just trying to build your base again, and let's call it a, you know, an off-season or prep phase. Um, and that for us, you know, might have been just some low-intensity running. We would always be doing some strength training. Um, you work on your drills, obviously, and just getting that conditioning back up where you are conditioning to run again and i remember hearing um, one of my lecturers many years ago at some school you know some night schooling i was doing and he was talking about getting fit to play the sport and i believe that's um, squash is one of the uh, highest um incidents of achilles tendon snapped achilles tendons you know as he was mentioning that so many middle-aged guys that they used to be potentially good squash players, stop playing squash, have a family, work takes over. Oh, I want to get fit again. And they go and actually play squash to get fit. It should be the other way around. You should actually go and do something more, you know, a little bit low key before you actually have a game of squash. And it's the same with all these sports. And I can relate the most to sprinting. You know, if you haven't actually run fast for a while, it's a very specific movement. It takes a lot of patterning neurologically. And it also requires a lot of stress on your tendons and so forth. So you've got to spend some time, you know, conditioning those tendons again. And typically for us, we would actually stay in flat shoes. We wouldn't actually go into running spikes. Some athletes could move in spike into spikes earlier than others, but a lot of athletes would stay in spikes for an extended period of time because their lower limbs would just get trashed. So you've got to actually go for this, this prep phase again. And then you go into this general preparation or early season phase. And obviously, then you start to, you know, do some more specific training. You might start to increase the intensity. You start to work on maybe your anaerobic power. Um, your strength is still, your strength work in the gym is still a focus, but you start to maybe work more on your specific strength and your plyometric strength. Um, and, you know, drills and the basics of sprinting still come into it. Then we go into a, you know, a really a specific preparation phase. And this is later in the year. You know you're getting into the sprinting mode. You're starting to actually come up to, you know, get used to running bends, getting used to doing block starts. And some, you know, if you're an absolute sprinter, one and two runner, I was more of a forerunner, you start to do some, you know, very specific speed work and some repeat speed work. If you're a 400 meter runner, you know, you might have gone from running lots of 500s or repeat 300s with short rest back to doing, you know, repeat 300s and 200s um, of slightly longer rest and starting to increase the intensity. 
So the training becomes more specific as you move into this phase. And then we move into that competition phase. And that's when you really start to hone in on what the aim is. You take, you know, your competition date, you start making that backwards plan, including your, we would have a 10 day taper, including that taper period. And you start to work out, okay, how much work can I get in to these four or six week block, whatever it may be. And um, uh, how many track days am I doing? And although we would have this progressive methodology over these six week blocks, they can't be set in stone. I really like following a training pattern and my brain would get into this mode where, and the guys actually got, uh, the athletes I coach got used to this as well, that you, we had what we called marker sessions. And one of those marker sessions you would have in your mind that when you run, and sometimes it's placebo effect, by the way, you've actually had this really good training session a week or 10 days out from a race and you race really well. So this becomes a little bit ingrained and stuck in your head to say, well, that's my marker session. And for me, I can tell you one of my marker sessions, just as an example, was three 200s at a specific time off six and eight minute rests. So they were very aggressive 200s. Um, they were probably in the, you know, the mid to high 90% range, maybe 97%. And people used to ask all the time, how do you know you're running 97%? Well, I will tell you right now, the sprinters become very, very good at running percentages. And our percentage training would range between 80% up to 97%, typically around 85, 90, 92, and 97. We had a spreadsheet. Everyone's um, uh, specific time for their events was in this spreadsheet. They're 60, 100, 200, 400 meter time. And one of the guys in our, in our squad was an actuary. So he built a whole model around, I will put the times in, I would put the distance in, and it would actually calculate, okay, um, this particular 200 meter run at 92% is this time. And we'd give them a range. We'd actually give them a, you know, um, like a 0.3 second range either side. And I can tell you 90% of the time, the athletes would hit it. After a sprinter gets used to running these target times and we always run with a watch, always, always, always. Um, a sprint athlete runs with a watch. Typically only one person in the squad would run with a watch. Um, sometimes more, I prefer only one so that we're not getting some confusion, but always run with a watch. So yeah, you get into this more specific training and you start dialing in your, your specific, you know, race day focus. And those marker sessions become very important because your body just starts to say, okay, I know if I hit these particular times in this particular session, I'm actually now in very good shape. So yeah, it's, it's really important when you want to start, when you get over that initial hump of just being, you know, a bit of a weekend athlete and you want to start to make improvement, um, training in these phases um, using this period, periodization methodology and training these phases and blocks becomes very important. Um, and that's when a coach becomes really important, to be honest. I mean, if you've got some sort of background in training, I would still recommend that you go off and get a coach, whether it's online or not, someone to discuss things with as well. Um, even if it's only for six weeks, and then you know, get that knowledge out of that person, understand some of these methodologies, and then start applying it yourself. Going back to what I was saying before about peaking sometimes too early, and um, you know, ruining a race coming up later, or sometimes having an earlier race and then your peak is perfect because it's a couple of weeks later, is more common than not. And I have got it completely wrong for my athletes on a few occasions and including myself trying to peak for a particular event. 
And, you know, you're just always trying to get that last 1% out of your body. And it's a risk. It's a very, very big risk. And my podcast partner, Chris Brack, who is currently an Australian champion, you know, in the Masters, um, has really dialed this in. And he just knows when to back off. And he's very good at it. He's like, I'm not going to get any more out of my body now. I'm just going to actually back off so I can actually race. And we all learn that the hard way, knowing that turning up to the track on race day and actually putting your spikes on and getting on the blocks is half the battle. You know, I've, I've had athletes that were definitely better athletes than I was, and they just couldn't get to the start line because of injury. I've even gone through that myself, you know, broken down many times, being much better athletes than other people. And they've you know, they've picked up the medals on the day because I just either turned up lame um, or couldn't get on the start line healthy. But a bit of a backstory, I coached a very, very good 800-metre runner, um, and there's a great video of him online, and you can go and Google this. It's under the Run Fast uh, YouTube, which I don't use. I'll put my podcast up there. Um, but there's a very good video of Mike running a 400 300 meter session so he ran a 400 at his 800 meter race pace or slightly below then he has a very short rest and he runs an, a 300 um these two you know and typically the the theory behind that is to stress the body get used to that pace so he's actually running slightly under his his uh, 800 meter first four race pace if that makes sense to you non-sprinters so the first 400 meters of his 800 he's going to run the 400 on this training day slightly faster because he's going to have a one-minute rest and then go again. Now, the reason you don't run two fours is because typically on race day, one, because that'll just ring your system out completely, and typically on race day, he'll have that extra 100 metres in him just because we've done so much work. His endurance pace was amazing. It was just trying to dial in the speed. He was in such great shape, and if you go and watch this on YouTube, a week or 10 days out from the race and the specific times that I gave him that he overran this session. I mean, overran it like crazy. I think he was two seconds under his 400-meter target time and his 300 was way under as well. Well, that destroyed him. He never recovered from that session neurologically. And the following week when he ran the 800 state titles, I think he ran one or one and a half seconds or two seconds outside of his target times. It was like a training run for him. He could run this specific time at training all the time, and we knew he was dialed in to run sub two minutes and probably break the state record. He was getting very close to that national record based on his training times. But, you know, my fault there, just giving him such a aggressive session too close to um, an event. But secondly, he overran the session. And this is when you need to know your athlete really, really well. Um, and know when to pull them back. And in all honesty, after he ran that first 400, I was probably pretty excited to see what he can do. I shouldn't have let him run the second 300 because it did destroy him. But anyway, I just wanted to touch on this whole training block and going back to um, High Rocks, that because it's still a new event, I think a lot of people are still trying to find um, the, the right methodology to train for it. The great thing about High Rocks, because the the actual stations aren't that complex i don't think you really need to practice them a lot i still believe spending some time on the ergs um rowing just to get your technique right and i would also you know i would look at actually getting myself a coach just to actually get a little bit more efficient in that stroke and the ski erg um i think they're worth practicing but the rest of the the um stations 
you can probably get away without training for them. The burpees, I do think, need some training in the wall ball. So let's put those two to the side for the moment because I just think they're so hard burpees after running that you really need to get your system used to it. Um, I'm extremely tight in the hips, so I've had to keep playing around with modifying the technique of a burpee with that broad jump, particularly after running and I was so fatigued and that was what blew me up. So I think, you know, there is some practice still required, but it's an interesting event. So I think periodization for a Hyrox event, you really need to start with that long, slow endurance space. And in all honesty, I think you could probably get away without doing any exercises. This is just, I wouldn't recommend it, but you could. And just get your endurance base up between, you know, a good 10K program. And this is what I'm using myself at the moment. I'm running on a 10K program um, and I'm still strength training, but my focus is my endurance and doing that long, slow work, some speed work and, uh, you know, some easy days and just building that base underneath you because the recovery between the stations and being able to run is a really difficult thing. And then I think moving into a strength phase You've got to keep your endurance there. This isn't just going from running to no running. So you might go from running four days a week, you know, for six or eight weeks. Then you go into a um, a strength phase, and then that may just cut your running back to three days a week, even two days a week, just to keep it there, you know. And maybe they're slightly longer, slower days though to keep your aerobic base topped up. And then you go into you know building your strength back up, particularly particularly pushing the sled. You know, if you're not a really strong athlete, you do have to move a set of 155 kilos for men and 105 for women. So that's still pretty hard to push. So you need to make sure you've got some leg strength um, and some some erg work and, you know, some compromised running work as well, where you're going from running on the ergs to, uh, sorry, from running on the treadmill straight to an erg um, and getting used to that transition phase. And then I think you could go into some, you know, maybe your next phase, and this is, again, this is no science based around this. You could go into more a more specific phase where you start doing some really, you know, specific high rocks movements, but you're still keeping your strength in there. You, you, you're still probably trying to keep two days a week running in there, and you're still probably doing some strength training. So you might have some, you know, let's call them hit workouts, one or two days a week, and then one day a week, it's a combination of strength and specific movements. So you might still do some, you know, I don't heavy squat anymore, but you still might do some heavy squats and some heavy deadlifts combined with some ski erg and wall balls, something like that. Um, and then on one of the other days, it may just be straight, um, you know, station work and erg work and um, wall balls, burpees and so forth. So it's interesting. It's going to be interesting how people work this out. And I think we're just going to see, People get faster and faster. We're getting down to the pointy end, and already the uh, the CEO of Hyrox says he thinks it's going to be a while before someone can go under fifty minutes. Who knows? Um, Hunter McIntyre is just you know barreling ahead at the moment, but he made an interesting comment a while ago where he said he believes that you need to, to be in the top fifteen in the world, top ten in the world. You need to be like a thirty two, thirty three, ten k runner, and you need to have a very good two k. Um, ski erg time. Now, I don't know what he's referring to there, that the ski erg plays a huge role um, because it doesn't. It's only one station. Or is he just saying that's a measurement across your your engine, you know, your capacity across the entire event? He doesn't struggle with the burpees at all, nor the lunges, which a lot of people, I believe, do. So 
Anyway, it's just a bit of an idea that I want to talk about where, because it's such a new sport, I don't think people got their head around training for it. And I definitely haven't. I'm still sort of learning as well. Um, But if I apply my methodology back in the day of sprint training and how sprint training actually works with these, you know, specific periodizations, and by the way, every sport uses that, then it's the same methodology is going to be applied across to high rocks. It's just how you break that down. But I intend to put out a a 12-week program on this theory soon, and it will be it'll be basically hoping you've already got some sort of base. If you're coming off no base, I might actually put an entire beginner's program together as well, but that'll be a little bit longer. You know, you probably need 12 months, a good 12 months to train for one of these events. But if you've already got a good base and you're coming from a background of, you know, you're running all the time, you're cycling, whatever, I think a 12-week program would look something like, you know, four weeks of running, obviously some strength days in there, into a more specific strength period, um, keeping some running in there, then going into the specific, um, uh, you know, high rocks type, exercises and using the ergs and compromise running but also keeping the strength in there maybe the endurance or the running isn't any running out in the streets is probably done in the gym on the treadmill um because you're going straight from an erg to a to a treadmill and vice versa but anyway i just want to talk through that a little bit i've been thinking about that a lot and i've seen a few comments online um you know in certain spaces in the socials about how to train for this is there any programs around i think it's just going to be interesting what starts to pop up soon um, and, you know, CrossFit's a little bit different. I think the endurance base of the High Rocks athletes is going to be much greater. Um, and I've already started to see that there was a few runners in the event that I did in Sydney, and they were Masters athletes, and they virtually had no strength background. They came in there with very good endurance background, um, you know, like half marathon work and so forth, and they did extremely well for their age. So I think that endurance part is going to be a really big thing to be able to recover between those um, those stations and then just go into your run. So that's it. I got 26 in for the year. Um, looking forward to really getting stuck into this next year and doing some deep dives, as I said before, into some athletes. I also write um, a newsletter. I've got a couple of newsletters. One is at uh, is High Rocks. I've got a website, highrocks.com. It doesn't have much on it yet, but it's a substack. So I think it's substack.highrocks.com. Don't quote me. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, and I also do write a newsletter at RunFast. Not as much anymore, but it has some evergreen, um, some evergreen articles there. But, uh, yeah, anyway, hope you have a wonderful new year. And, uh, yeah, don't go too crazy. It's a nice year to get out and celebrate with friends and so forth. But also, um, you know, if you've been training really hard, don't ruin it and actually chop out an entire week. I intend to go and have a glass of champagne with some friends, but plenty of water in between. And then uh, I will more than likely get up the following day and try and have a run somewhere. So um, be safe out there and uh, bye for now.